I was very disgusted with myself. It was awful to think that I let them get away with it. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and I'm talking to John. That's not his real name, we're protecting his identity. He's agreed to talk to the detail about how fraudsters got into his bank accounts and stole many thousands of dollars. John reckons he was targeted because he's old. Today, how more and more elderly people are victims of fraud and financial abuse. Sometimes it's loved ones. In John's case, he was fleeced by strangers. It was in the afternoon. My phone went. I answered it and a voice came on. It's ANZ Bank. You've had a couple of withdrawals on your account in the US. $1,800 in one place and $1,000 in another place. And they don't look right to us and we're going to cancel them. And uh, I said, yes, I will. And they went on and said that um, also... You've got a lot of viruses in your account and we're working on them to get rid of them. We'd like you to help us do that. And then they proceeded with a program of questions. We'd like to bring up some things on your computer so we can have them recorded. And they went on for quite a long time. And then I said, yeah, where are you anyway? And we're in the head office of ANZ in Dunedin. I asked them their name and they told me. Mm. What kind of questions were they asking you? What sort of information were they trying to get from you? They were just trying to convince me they were genuine. They asked John about his bank accounts, including one where he is the trustee of his late wife's estate. And they said, we'll just go ahead working through these viruses and we might have a question now and again, but just leave us with your computer. Did they actually ask you for your number? Yes, the uh, password. The two numbers, this is a customer number, they can get that, and that doesn't matter much, but the password is the key thing. And I was silly enough to give them that. <laughs> the loss of the money is one thing. Yeah. But the right thing that really... I was so dumb not to pick up as a sham. But it was a very professionally prepared interview. They're very good at it. You know, they use behavioural sciences in a way that is outstanding. This is the former Retirement Commissioner, Diane Maxwell, talking about canny fraudsters targeting the elderly. They have algorithms, they learn, and they perpetrate these scams. So you've got one person sitting somewhere on their own, um, elderly, and then you've got a team of professional experts. So these experts tricked John into telling them his password. Were you sitting at your computer yeah. and they were at the other end sitting on yes. a computer? They, they were bringing up stuff. And how they, long did... How long? It was at least two hours. On the phone with them? Yes, and, and the computer. It was a, such a prolonged thing. And I got bored with it, really. And um, they said, well, look, we'll leave it to us. We're, we're just working on it. And that's when they started. There were four... Withdrawals? Yes. 
Four withdrawals from four accounts, including the cash account of John's late wife. The biggest amount they t- took came out of that 10000 she had. And they took a six out of it, and fives and six out of the other ones. Oh. So it was about 20000 20. Mm. They t- kept telling me, now, don't come near the computer. It mucks up our, our investigations. It was a Friday afternoon and John was completely unaware that $20,000 had been swiped from his accounts. It was only the next morning while he was on a trip with his son that alarm bells started ringing. His son immediately called the bank, but by then it was too late. They brought up my account and they described the withdrawals and that's about it. Did they shut it down immediately? They did pick it up, but only after the, they took three withdrawals and um, there was a fourth one that they, they stopped. And so during that two hours that you had with that person who called you, was, did anything about that conversation, about what they were doing, ring alarm bells with you? Did you suspect? There, there, there was one thing that afterwards... There was another person talking in the background. He said, we've got a group here going into it. And that would have sounded a bit funny. His voice wasn't too abnormal. He had a really clear understanding of the financial system. Mm. I didn't really worry about it, but I should have. Do you think that they targeted you because... You're elderly? Yes, I think so. I don't know where they picked that up from, but it's, it's probably available. The first thing you do when you do, go into online banking is book yourself in, as it were, and you put in your customer number, you, then you put your password, and then you log in. Mm. And once I go, yeah. Password they were able to get in? Yeah. I, I um, left the, my, the phone on while I was going, mm. and that was my second failure. I left it off for a long time. Your home phone? Yeah, landline. Landline, yeah. I'd probably go do, do the landline thing. Yeah. Because they're more ancient, older people mainly. Yeah. So you're saying that you're also vulnerable because you have a landline? A bit, I wanted to find out what steps the banks take to alert and assist elderly customers caught in scams. I tried the Bankers Association, a couple of big banks and the banking ombudsman. None of them could put up someone to interview. But it's a touchy subject because banks just recently have come in for quite a bit of flack for either overprotecting customers, doing too much to stop them from getting ripped off, or not doing enough. So I called Neil Hallett from the Australasian charity Identity Care. ID Care was founded in 2014 at the request of the Australian Federal Attorney General, who realised there was just no support for victims of identity theft, scams and cybercrime. 
we help out well over a thousand people a year in New Zealand, either directly or through the offerings on our website. I tried to talk to the banks and the Bankers Association and you know various parts of the industry to get an explanation mm-hmm. of what steps banks take to alert and protect elderly customers and that's when I was put on to you because yep. no, I couldn't find anybody in the banking industry basically who would talk about this. I don't know why. There'd be an element of, I guess, not wanting to out their own bank in front of other banks, but a, a large proportion of them do take an active role in trying to stop people parting with their money for scams and I've been involved in one not that long ago where the person was determined to send money offshore to what he thought was the love of his life Uh, and and the bank and then Western Union refused to do it but he found out ways of sending money offshore with these new money transfer apps and he was able to borrow money from third-party lenders at eye-watering interest rates uh, and still get the money offshore. So, Oh, yeah, no, and what, was, what um, happened? Did he oh, lose? he lost a couple hundred thousand that, he, that he's told me about. This won't have escaped you, Sharon, but the real heart-wrenching thing where elderly are being victimised is that they're often at a, at a time of their life where they can't recover you know, if a younger person is, is offended against, yes, it's sad, but they've got 20 or 30 years to recover. If, if, if you're older, you've got less time and less ability. Um, and this particular chap's now working seven days a week driving a truck uh, to pay off the debts that he incurred. And the, the love of his life presumably never turned up. No, no, he sent money offshore a couple of times for her to turn up and... No, she didn't. Uh, one of the things ID Care does is listen to the stories and tries to help rather than people in this man's shoes being told by their family and by their friends that, you know, how could you be so stupid and all of that. We, we look for solutions. Now, in his case, the money was long gone, but I was able to provide some advice and assistance around him getting his debts consolidated at a, at a much more user-friendly interest rate. Uh, but sadly, often the, the money is long gone. Yeah, well, that's what I'm told, is that in most cases, you don't get the money back. Yeah, it, that is the case, sadly. Um, there are a few provisos around that. If someone realises within a matter of days that they've... Uh, been duped. Banks and certainly law enforcement are able to put in a thing called a kill chain into the transfer of the funds. If you're if you're transferring money to Africa, for example, often it will have to it will have to bounce through the US banking system. And if we can get to it quick enough, it can be reversed. The biggest thing that that I'm working towards is trying to get a better picture of the types of frauds that are happening almost in real time so that we can uh, be in a position to uh, not only publicise the the fraud of the month, for want of a better word, but also 
gather the the various bits of information, turn them into a, a usable product, and and get law enforcement involved in trying to track these people down because. At the moment, that isn't happening, and it's a very low-risk crime for the offenders to be involved in. Are you saying that there are more and more cases of it and that the perpetrators are getting cleverer about how they do it? Look, it's it's definitely increasing, and um, a report released in Australia that puts the cost there and 2019 at about $3.5 billion. If we look in the New Zealand uh, context, it's probably somewhere between 400 and $500 million a year going offshore, but we really don't know. When you talk about that, that figure, $500 million, that's across the board, not just elderly people. Is that right? That is across the board. What we do know from the reports that come into IDCAB is that the elderly are overrepresented. They are often the most financially secure group to be targeting. And there is isolation caused by COVID, maybe less computer savvy, but definitely more trusting. Uh, They just make a, a, a better target. So what are some of the newest things that you've seen? You talk about fraud of um, the month. The tax scams, so fake IRD websites, phishing emails where, where people are told they've got an outstanding tax owing through social media, fake trading accounts, fake investment opportunities, fake rental opportunities. Yeah, they, they continue to find ways, I guess, to to find targets and then to get the targets to work around systems that are put in place to protect them. As Neil Hallett says, we don't know how big the problem is because there's no data. What we do know is the reported cases are... The tip of the iceberg. There are a number of people out there that are not reporting. That's Stephanie Clare from Age Concern. I'm also talking to her colleague, Honey Naus. She deals with about five cases of financial elder abuse every day. Often financial abuse and other forms of elder abuse start small. They don't start with the big dramatic things that end up in the headlines. And usually there is a build-up of trust asking for a little bit of money or secretly without the older person knowing that money uh, gets removed from their accounts once there's been trust built up to enable passwords or PIN numbers or signatures and gradually larger amounts or property is taken or shared or given in, in inverted commas. In Scotland they're calling it an epidemic, these rising cases of fraud. What's the situation here? What we can say is that almost half of the cases that we deal with, which are about 2,500 over a year, almost half of those involve financial abuse. Certainly what we experienced during lockdown of last year is that things had to change and older people didn't have access to shops like other age groups, shops, banks and those kinds of things. So there's certainly been a change. What we're seeing is that older people are not having the face-to-face ability 
to go to their banks and to use those formats. Um, can I just add also what, what we what we're seeing here also is the reported cases. So we do know that a number of um, older people are in this situation and they won't report to anyone. They won't report for many reasons. And if it's a family member who has taken money, or if you have been coerced into a relationship that you thought you knew the person, you are less likely to report because of the embarrassment and shame. Can you describe to me what happens when someone actually does come to you and say, I think I'm being ripped off, or what do they say to you? The first point is that often it's not the older person themselves. Some of that is embarrassment or shame. Some of it is also not being that clear or not knowing where to go or even to ask. Often it's other people in the family that are noticing uh, difficulties. We've had people like the hairdresser, people in shops who are saying they're really concerned about what's happened to a person that's been their customer for a long time and they're seeing changes. They've noticed that either that the older person's financial situation is, is changing or that the older person can be frightened of the person who's abusing them or over a period of time that they're noticing a change in the relationship. The person who's moved in or the grandchild is uh, using the car and is set up in the bedroom, conducting their business from the house. And given that these are trusted relationships or new developments, it's very shameful if things have worked out with someone that you've you know, trusted all your life. It's been someone in your family or someone that you know, in the past maybe had done something to you but you've forgiven them and that you've started again and you've tried to uh, be really supportive of them and then they turn around and, and not give back the money that you've loaned them or the savings that was going to be your retirement. You know, older people by and large really want to help and support their family and if one of their relatives falls on hard times, they're really trying to help. They're trying to be supportive. A desperate fight is on for an elderly Auckland woman's home after her daughter allegedly tricked her into signing documents which relinquished her ownership. My daughter decided that I'm old now and throw me in a rest home, sign my house over to her. Well, I did sign my house over to her. I just didn't know it at the time. And what has she done? She's taken everything. And so a worker will go and visit this person Yes, with permission and often with the intermediary as well because you're just knocking on the door isn't as, isn't as simple as that. No, no. And, and, and if they're already in a bruised situation, they're not just going to trust somebody. But we can usually build up a relationship with that person in a way that's saying we're age concerned, we're, from a, you know, we're not from the government, we're not the police, so we're not people who are going to come and um, suddenly take away someone who's done something nasty to you. And often older people don't want that because they're really worried about that. So they would never talk to the police or they would never talk to a formal agency. What are the options for them? I mean, what kind of things can you do next after talking to them? Usually it's advocating for them in their situation, but also it's being very clear that we are not lawyers and that most of the situations that we deal with are not, have not got to the point where lawyers are involved. And obviously the first things, and especially where there's PIN numbers and credit cards and bank cards, obviously we're stopping those things straight away. So they can arrange meetings, talk to the bank, etc. But what are the chances of getting the money back? In our experience, uh, not very often, no. The money's usually gone. 
and these are the cases that come to us. So from those ones that don't even get to us, we know that there's a, a lot of loans being had um, that have never been repaid mm. and it's too late to compromise. I mean, if somebody's taken your car and used it and crashed it, then obviously you're not going to get that back. You're not going to get those things replaced. And that's the difficulty for older people. This is their life savings for their retirement. And once that's gone or their house has been repossessed because of outstanding debts created by someone else, they don't have an option of anything else. And is that what you have seen, you know, people losing their their own homes? Yes, certainly some, but again, some of that has appeared voluntarily. If your son says, look, um, we can't afford to um, buy a house for our family um, alone, if you sell your house, mum, now that you're on your own, if you sell your house and then we can buy a house together and you can have a flat for you as part of the property. So that's done without anything being signed mm. and then the flat never appears and, and mum's in the back bedroom mm. and that's that's the rest of mum's yeah. life. That's not what we want. And the other thing that we can see that um, is not that big picture taking the house could be something smaller and, and insidious like um, on pension day taking mum to go and get her money out, say she gets 750 a fortnight, she gets out 750 someone takes 700 and gives her 50 to, to get on with. It is really tricky though, isn't it? Because often family members that are, are involved. What's your experience, Honey? I mean, what happens to that relationship? And that's the dilemma, because for the older person, the loss of the relationship can be just as painful as the loss of the money. What we as Age Concern always advocate is that the older person's money and their resources are for them, and if they need new hearing aids, and that costs a lot of money, but it keeps them socially connected with other people, that's more important than you having a larger inheritance when they die. If all of the agencies involved worked together, we could target hard in New Zealand. I'm hoping that if we were to talk in 12 months' time, that the picture would be looking better for our citizens and, and it would be a lot harder for the overseas and New Zealand criminals to operate. As for John, well, he got a few thousand dollars back, but the rest is gone. And that's not the end of the story. I got a call two or three days ago from someone and immediately I could tell that I just said, oh, I'm not going to talk to you. Really? Someone mm. else, you think, is mm. trying, trying to get money out of you? Yeah. So this has happened more than once? Well, of course. I... How does it make you feel? Well, well you don't like losing 20000 or no. so. It's a family, really. I'm all right. <laughs> and it's, I, I was very disgusted with myself. It was awful to think that I, I let them get away with it, and it was simply that password. So what would you say to other people? Unless you're sure that you're talking with the bank, stop the call. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced today's episode. Jeremy Ansell engineered it. Thanks to Stephanie Clare, Honey Naus, Neil Hazlitt and John. 
And before we go, there's another daily news podcast you might be interested in. It's called Pacific Waves. It's a revamped version of Dateline Pacific made by RNZ Pacific team. And it's all about what's going on on our doorstep. Kakite. Thank you.